Romans 8. Everybody ready? All right, we're going to be in Romans. We are in a series through the book of Romans that we started way before Easter, and we're going to end at the end of August. And uh, we're heading down the final stretch here in chapter 13. Um, if you're new to New Hope around here, this is what we do. We, we teach through books of the Bible. We want you to understand how God's Word makes sense to you every single day, and, and we want you to take it home with you, right, and, and use it throughout the week. And that's why we create these reading plans, these reading guides for each of the series. And, um, and so if you have never done that with us, um, we create these, these reading guides, and uh, they're online. You can scan the QR code. It's in our app. It's on our website. There's physical copies in the back of the auditorium. If you want to grab one, you'd like to have the pen and paper, and you like checking boxes and feeling good about life that way, you know, you can do that. Um, um, but what we do with that is we create this a time where you can get into God's Word five, ten minutes a day, reading part of the passage that we're going to be preaching on that coming Sunday. And so you're cheating. Isn't that awesome? We allow you to cheat and read ahead and, uh, and figure out what the pastor is going to preach on um, on that following Sunday. It also gives you a chance uh, and a system and, and a tool to be able to spend time with God in prayer and spend that time with them. And then there's that reading plan to read ahead. So grab one of those if you want to. Um, We are in chapter 13, and remember the first 11 chapters were all about what God had done for us. And it was good news of what God did for us, right? (laughs) We get his mercy, his grace, salvation, forgiveness, like all the things that God has done for us, starting in verse 12, and then is, so what? What do we do then? How do we respond to what God has done for us? And, and it's how we live in relationship with other people. It's how we live in relationship with God. It's how, it's how, um, it's how we live in relationship with the government. Wasn't that fantastic last week? Thank you, Jim. Um, I happened to be on vacation that Sunday. I couldn't preach that one. Um, no, really, it was seriously by chance. I'm like, oh, Jim, praying for you, brother. Um, um, yeah, thank you. He's like, you're welcome, Tim. All right. Um, and, and so today we're continuing that conversation. What does it mean to live uh, under God and, and to live in, in the freedom that God calls us to live into in chapter 13? Now, another thing we do is we want you to also memorize Scripture. We hide it in your mind so it moves to your heart and changes the way you live with your hands. It's your head, your heart, your hands. Um, that's that whole thing, that when we, when we know God's Word, we are now given the weapon in which to fight the enemy's attacks and lies. And we want you to have those tools. And so that's on the bottom of that reading plan. Next week, we'll switch to verse 2, but Romans 12, 1, life verse right here, okay? And so we're going to read it out loud together. Is everybody ready? ready. All right, Romans 12, 1. Here we go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is our true and proper worship, right? This is the transition from 11 to chapter 12. Therefore, all of what Christ has done for us, well, therefore, this is what we do for him. It's reasonable for us to give our lives to him because he gave his life for us, right? And And when we live that way each day, saying, God, today it's your day. I want to walk in your ways. I want to walk in your presence. I'm giving you my life today. That we get to live inside of his blessings. And today we're going to learn more about that um, as well um, as we dig into it. So we're in chapter 13. Sorry, I didn't have my other passage open yet. Okay, so, um, so we're going to stand and read the passage for today as we finish chapter 13. So if you want to be in chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, we always say, bring your Bibles with you. If you have a physical Bible, that's awesome. And you can, yeah, those of you, you want to stand with me as we read God's Word together. And we do this because we honor God's Word. If you're able to stand, awesome. If, if not, that's okay. But um, we honor God's Word here at New Hope, and we believe that God has something to say to us. 
this morning. And so Romans uh, chapter 13, starting in verse 8 to the end of the chapter, I'm reading from the NIV, and this is what it says. It says, Let no debt remain outstanding, except a continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in the one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness and in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. God, today we know you want to say something to all of us. We know that your word never returns void. It always does what you want it to do. And this morning, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, would you lead me to teach your word effectively? Holy Spirit, would you prepare all of us in this room for what you want to say to each of us? And God, if there's something that's hard in us that just needs cracked open, would you lovingly, as the Heavenly Father that you are, open us up? Because we know in that opening comes freedom. And so lead us into your freedom today in your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 It's a good day. You can have a seat. Now imagine if I invited you to New Hope and I said, man, I'm so excited for you to come to church. I want you to know what kind of church we are. And I said, okay, the thing is, when you come to our church, you're going to have to come to a class. And and in that class, right away, we're going to have to teach you all the rules. And all the rules are very important because all these rules, you know, and we, and we come out and we open up a scroll and we say, and here's the list of rules. And we read this list of rules to you. And, uh, and, and we say, now here's the thing. There's not just 10. There's, there's actually like 613. This is when I feel short. And I say, um, and you have to memorize all of the 613 rules and laws to belong to what we're doing, okay? And the thing is, when you break one of those, we'll judge you. Is that okay? Like, who wants to come to that church, right? Like, like no, right? We don't want to come. It's like, you got to be kidding me. But that was the Old Testament. This was the Mosaic Law, 613 laws that the Jews had to follow. They had to know. They had to learn as they grew up. They had to understand them, memorize them, and make sure they didn't break any of them. And if they broke them, they had to go and ask for forgiveness in the temple and sacrifice an animal and, oops, I sinned, and like over and over and over again. And that's what the Old Testament was. That is the law. That's the, those are the commandments. It's not just the top 10. You guys know the top 10 commandments, right? If, I don't know if you, and, and I would say, hey, why don't you quote the 10 commandments? Honestly, most of us can do like three, right? Like it's like, oh shoot, I didn't even know that test. The three out of the 10, and he's saying 613. I'm like, I'm screwed. I can't do it, right? I'm like, I'm going to hell. Oh well, you know, like, like <laughs> it's a good thing we don't live there, right? Because that's, this, isn't, this isn't what we're talking about this morning. Actually, Romans 13 is such a freeing passage. Because we're going to learn what God wants of us, right? And, and how, we're, how we are to live in the power. And instead of this long list of all this stuff, this is what Jesus did. He just sums it up and says, love. 
Is that easier than 613 to memorize? Right? He simplifies it. And so that's what we're digging into this morning. I'm grateful that we live in the time of a simple gospel with a simple message that we have been given hope and forgiveness of our sins. Amen? And then we're called to respond. And so what I'm going to do is say no to that, okay? So we don't, that's not growth track, by the way. We don't do that in growth track here at New Hope. It's not memorizing. It's not law. It's not like we get to understand this whole idea that God has fulfilled all the law. And he has given us one thing to fulfill the law. And so, so fill in the blank. Those of you who love fill in the blanks, this is it, right? Number one is this, that we fulfill all of the God's law. All that long list of everything that is the do's and don'ts gets all fulfilled when we love others. That's it. I prefer the summary. <laughs> Anybody love taking tests? We got some test takers. You just love taking tests. All right. I never did well at tests. I mean, I never did well in school. So like tests were like proof of that, right? So like, <laughs> we just made it through. So I'm glad like, and when you get to heaven, it's not like, well, here's a test of your knowledge. <laughs> like, um, this is the only thing you need to know. I know Jesus. That's the knowledge, right? And, and what did Jesus do? He loved. He was the fulfillment of all love. He was the fulfillment of God's love. For you and I, what he did fulfilled all the law because he fulfilled love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't need to know the list. I need to know Jesus. So let's read it, okay? He says, let no debt remain outstanding. Now, some would, this is a side sermon. Some would say, so this is that passage that says you're not supposed to ever get into debt ever. Like, that's not what he's talking about here. All right, that's, this isn't like the financial conversation. Like, okay, so here's the financial stewardship thing. Like, never get into debt because none of you would be living indoors if you didn't have a mortgage, right? Like, like there are things, yes, but it, don't let debt ever remain outstanding. I mean, take care of, if you make an agreement, Take care of the agreement you make, right? So that's good stewardship if you make an agreement. Being in less debt is a better answer, yes. If you can live debt-free, fantastic, you know? There's a freedom in that, that you get to live not for yourself. When you live debt-free, man, you get to live generously. And that is a good place to be. So, but that's not what he's talking about. He says, don't leave any debt under, except for the continuing debt to love one another. Why would we be in debt to love one another? Well, therefore, how has God showed you love? If God's unrelenting, unlimited love has been given to you, you're in debt to his love. And that debt gets paid off by you loving. That's what he's saying. That's what we're called to do. Continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Then he goes into details. The commandments. So here's just a few of the ten, right? And just a teensy bit of the 613, right? The commandments. You shall not commit adultery. So, okay, don't do that, right? <laughs> like, if you're not married to them, don't be, don't be close to them. Like, you shall not murder, okay? We, okay, don't kill somebody. And don't kill somebody with your thoughts. Like, Jesus takes it to a whole nother level. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, you say don't murder, and I say don't show hatred, right? Like, like he, like, takes it to the thought level of, like, your thought life, actually. You can be murdering somebody in your mind, <laughs> 
Anybody ever done that at work with that one person? They're like, right? He says, you shall not steal, okay? Don't, if it's not yours, don't take it. You shall not covet. That's jealousy, right? Greed, that kind of stuff. And whatever other commandment there may be. So he's like, and all of the other ones. <laughs> he's like, I'm just, he's not gonna list them all. Um, all the other commands there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Does this sound familiar? Jesus said it. That's why it should sound familiar, right? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said the exact same thing. Um, Oh, verse 8. For love, or verse uh, 10, he says, for love does no harm to a neighbor. So therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. If you're going to love somebody, you're not going to murder them in your thoughts, right? If you're, if you're going to love somebody, you're not going to take something from them that belongs to you. If you're going to love somebody, you're not going to be jealous about what they got. You're going to celebrate. Yeah, that's awesome. You got that, right? Love transforms our thoughts and our lives. That's what love does. And it fulfills all the commands because that's what it's meant to do. This is what Jesus, how Jesus said it. Sorry, Matthew chapter 22. And like he was challenged by a religious person saying, well, Tell me the rules, you know, the commandments. What's the most important commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So the first one is love God with all you got. That's the first 11 chapters of Romans. Why? Because he already loved you. He's done everything for you. Therefore, we give him our lives and love him. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus Paul's just repeating what Jesus said. He's like, love. That is the fulfillment, the fulfillment of those commands. Now, we live in a world of imperfection. You got any imperfect people in the house? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar, so you're not perfect. All right, so like, like we're, we're all imperfect. We all got issues. You know, we're, we all struggle, and we all have struggles in our thoughts and our lives and all that kind of stuff. And, and so we struggle with extremes when we're talking about these two things. The, the the danger of the extreme of the law and extremes of love. And let me explain this, because I think this is the tension most of us live in. And especially in, in church world, or maybe your relationship with church or with God, like you may struggle with these two extremes, that when you read rules in the Bible, you consider them as law. And so God said to do it, so I absolutely have to do it. And you start putting everything in these little boxes and these little boxes end up controlling your life because if I go outside of the boxes, I'm sinning, I'm going to hell, and if I don't, then then da, da, da. and so you like get really like confined by well, he I got to do it just like this, and it's got to be just like this, and here's the rule, and here's the law, and um, and this is what happens when you have law without love. Law without love is legalism. Okay, law without love, this is what it ends up doing. You you actually become a judgmental person because they're not living the same law you're living and so you're comparing yourself to other people on how you're keeping the law versus them. So you become judgmental. You, you can become very um, um, condemning, restricting. Life is very restricting and confining. And ultimately, you, you feel enslaved by those rules and that law. And you think other people should feel the same way you do. That's legalism, Right? That's what happens when you go to the extreme of the law. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. It happened in Jesus' day. You saw him confront the legalists, right? Those who were walking with legalism. That's who he confronted the most. Actually, that's who he was the most blunt with. Like, you brood of vipers. Like, he was just calling them names. I'm like, come on now. Get your act together. Like, 
And then you have the way other extreme. It's, it's now, what if you have love with no law? So it's just all love, no rules, right? This is like 60s and 70s, right? It's like the love culture, like what feels good to you? The reality, that mentality hasn't changed, right? It's just we, we've gotten more sophisticated with it, um, with how it operates. Because love without law, I would call it mysticism, because you, you start being led by your emotions, like how you feel about things. And so you become really feelings-oriented, and that, that kind of leads your life. And, and, and when you live all love and no law, you actually uh, appease people who are hurting you or doing wrong things. You don't confront anything. You're just like, well, that's just their, you know, we'll just let them be and, like, let love. And, and you do things to maybe hurt other people, but nobody's going to confront you because, oh, that wouldn't be loving to do. So it appeases dysfunction when you live all the way over love. It appeases it. It allows dysfunction. There is no growth over here. If you're led by emotions, you won't grow. If you're led by just, just love everybody, nobody will be challenged to grow because that's not loving. There's no growth with that extreme of love. It actually ends up being selfishness and emotional um, and an emotional feelings life and experiences. And so if you go to either one of these extremes, you're in the danger zone. What I read in Scripture, usually with all topics, it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> like, usually with all the things we talk about here at New Hope, we talk about the things in the middle, right? It's an understanding of the law, but it's living in love. It's an understanding of God's protection and boundaries, but, but not placing them and judging other people. Like There's this balance in the middle of law and love, of legalism and mysticism, and I believe that's what we're called to do. Now, I want to be very careful because I just read a passage, and some people take the passage out of context. I don't re read any scriptures in the New Testament that talk about learning how to love yourself. That is a, um, that is a cultural norm that's not a, that's not a biblical one. Because we, we think it's good to have high self-esteem. Now, I'm going to be very careful. i got psychologists in the room and counselors, all right? Because they're like, Tim, whoa, 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 whoa. You telling everybody to be depressed and hard on themselves? No, that's not what I'm saying. When I'm talking about self-esteem, esteem means to view yourself higher. To esteem somebody is to view themselves higher. The self-esteem movement is I'm higher than God. That's, that's really where we end up being. I'm the one in control. I'm the one that's in charge. Look at me. Look what I can do. And that level of esteeming yourself is not a biblical model. And the same concept of loving yourself, right? Well, I got to love me first before I can love them. No. You're taking the passage and going, whoop. You're supposed to love your neighbor first and love God first. And then you walk in confidence in who God created you to be. Living in purpose and living loved is different than loving yourself. When you live loved and understand you are a child of God, God accepted you, he loves you, he, he made you just the way you are, he created you with all the beautiful things he put inside of you, and he loves you. That's the beginning of walking into what love actually looks like. It's not loving yourself first. It's loving God first. And when you love God and understand and accept and receive the love he has given you, the forgiveness he has given you, you don't have to forgive yourself. God's already forgiven you. You have to accept it. 
okay? And when you accept that forgiveness and you accept that love from God, I'm telling you, the most loved people become the most loving people. It just flows out of you because of what you received, you give. This is a biblical model, okay? So I, I, when I'm talking about self-esteem in a healthy way, I would call it self-confidence in who God made you. Does that make sense? You're putting yourself in, in, in the order in which God has placed you. God first. He made you and he loves you and you put him first. And then you love others. It's the natural flow. It's the biblical model of what this process of learning to live somewhere in the middle between law and love looks like. You can't, don't lean too far one, one, one way or the other. Because when you come to a difficult, difficult relationship, ever had one of those? <laughs> this morning? You know, like, like, ever, like, when you come to a difficult situation in a relationship, you have to ask yourself a question. And here's the question that I believe is the biblical question you need to ask yourself. I want you to write this down. What does love require of me in this? What does love require of me in this? It's not how is this making me feel or how am I, it's not me-centered, right? You, it's okay to deal with your own emotions, yes. And, and it's okay to say, God, help me understand what's going on in this relationship and this situation. It's, it's great to have godly people. We call them BGPs, big godly people in your life that you can go to and say, hey, I'm struggling with this person, help me. And for them to speak into your life, but then the question, the ultimate question is, but what does love require of me in this, in this relationship, in this circumstance? This is the bottom line of the whole law. What does love require of me? How do I love, even when it's difficult to love? How do I show love when I get to show love and it's easy to do? How do I show love? That's the question. What does love require of me of this? I, I think this is all, honestly... If you want to sum up the Christian life, this should be it. How you answer this question, right? Is this good? Y'all with me? Okay. This, this, is, this is what we're called to do. Now, he, he continues to go in this and, and talking about love, and then it, it feels like in verse 11 he like switches gears, but it's not really switching gears because if we're driven by love, if we're living love, if we're fulfilling the law by love— well, what should our life look like, okay? How should we understand life? And so let, let's keep reading um, in, into the next part, because the next part, we're going deep. Everybody go deep? Yeah. Yep, you brought your snorkel. We're going in. Right. If you need oxygen, just let me know. Because this is what he says. He continues, he says, and do this, so love, continue to love, fulfill law with love, and do this, understanding the present time that the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We see Paul talk about this. If you read all the passages in the New Testament, you'll see Paul talk about the day. We're waiting for the day, capital D, day. We're waiting for Christ's return is what we're waiting for. He promised he was going to come the first time, and he did. So he fulfilled all the promises in the Messiah Jesus Christ did. I'm 100% he's going to fulfill all the promises he hasn't fulfilled yet. <laughs> And the promise of return is like, yes, come, return, get back here. Would you please save us all and lead us into your kingdom forever? No more weeping tears, brokenness, sin. It's all done. 
We're longing for that day. And the reality is for them when he wrote that, and even for us today, that day is closer than it was yesterday. It's closer this next minute than it was a minute ago. He's saying, so we long for that day. So live as if you long for that day. That it's, he's coming, he's returning. Let's not be sleeping. Let's not be in our slumber, but our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. This is a good word right here. The armor of light. I was struggling with where to go because I only have so much time to preach because this could be a two-hour sermon right here. Because right now I could take you to Ephesians chapter 6 and we can start talking about the armor of God. The armor of God is the armor of light. Darkness can't be contained by light. The light gets rid of the darkness. And God has given us everything we need to be light. So I don't have time to preach that one right now. Go back and go on our web or our YouTube channel and search, search the armor of God. And I've done sermons in the past on Ephesians. Um, it is so good. We're going to go a little bit different direction this morning. But we're to put on the armor of light, not to play in the dark. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. He starts talking almost about the Ten Commandments again. You know, he's like, Here, here's some things that if you look like love, you don't look like these things. It's like, these things shouldn't be happening in the daytime, so don't be walking in these in drunkenness. Drunkenness is you allowing something else to control you that's other than God, right? That's what happens when you're drunk. You aren't in control. God's not in control. Who do you think's in control? To me, I think Satan's in control of your life in that moment. You're allowing the demonic, the darkness, to come in. That, that's a choice. Okay? And sexual immorality, every time we read this word all through the New Testament, it means any sex outside of marriage, period. Anything that draws you to sex, anything that tempts you into sex, all that stuff wrapped up in one. He's like, don't, don't walk into that. And debauchery, just like wild living crazy, like not in dissension, which is, is like not somebody who brings disunity. Don't be someone who's constantly like bringing the mess. And not in jealousy, which is, I believe is the idol of our day. He's like, don't, why would you want to live like that? If you've got the light, if you're waiting for Christ to come, like, don't live like this. He says, no, rather clothe yourself. Put on. You're putting off the sin. You're putting off those things that you, you know you ought not to. And put on, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and take it to another level. And, don't, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't even think about it. Like, don't make plans in your head. Like, you get tempted. That temptation leads to, like, action. Like, don't even put yourself in the place. Remember last week, no, two weeks ago, I talked about the Twinkie. You remember the Twinkie? Okay. One side was good. One side was moldy. We called that duplicity. It's one way, but on the other side, it's a whole other way. We talked about light and dark. And, and for us, those, we, if you struggle with sin, just so, by, by the way, I, I don't, I'm not standing up here like pointing fingers at you, yelling at you like, stop being stupid. All right, that's not what we're doing here. We want God to free us from some things is what we want. If, we're, if you have Christ, we're called to not live two separate lives in duplicity. And, and I gave this illustration. Here's a picture of what we talked about. That, 
that the candlestick itself has a shadow, but the light has no shadow, right? And, and uh, when I showed this to you guys, there was a lot of like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Like, that's a real picture, by the way. That's not Photoshopped. That's, our sin is our shadow life. It's that stuff hidden behind us that people kind of have to, like, they peek around to try to see it, but we don't want anybody to see it because that's like the sin stuff that we do or that's the dark side of us. It's like, eh. But when we let Christ come in, we are clothing ourselves in light. We're allowing the light of Christ in us to start to transform us and to burn down that wax that creates the shadow, right? We want to be all light because in the light, there is no shadow. There is no duplicity in the light. He's saying live in the daytime where there's no duplicity. Don't live in the dark time in the shadows. We're called to be freed from those things, to be freed from them. So, so here's, here's the fill in the blank for this one. We're called to put off sin and to put on Christ. That's what we're called to as Christians. To put off sin and to put on Christ. How much time do I have? I want to use my time well here. You want to be dressed right for the job, right? You don't want to be the guy in flip-flops at the construction site, right? Like, who already's missing a couple of toes. You know that guy? You know, it's like, did you not learn the first time that thing fell? And then it's like, you want to be dressed right, you know? You don't, you don't, want, to, you don't want to show up to a job interview with Crocs and socks. Unless you're working at a Croc shop, you know? Like, you want to dress for the part. And that's what he's saying. Clothe yourself for the part. If you're a Christian, clothe yourself in Christ. You're, you're being transformed and you're looking more like him and he's transforming. You, want to be, you don't want to be dressed for destruction. You want to be dressed for devotion. That's our calling as Christians. And for us to do this, I'm going to teach something that I've mentioned in a lot of sermons, but I realize I never had fully taught this. And I asked Jim this week, I'm like, Jim, I could go different directions. Which way should I go? He said, oh, you need to go that way. And I said, okay, so blame Jim, all right? So, <laughs> so this is what we're doing. I, I, I've talked about this idea of radical amputation in the past, that God may call you to radically cut something out of your life. And I want to now just, I'm going to teach it, okay? So is everybody ready for this? Um, and so we're, we're going to take this idea of what Paul is saying in, in Romans, and we're going to go back to now see what Jesus said about it, okay? This is a call to radical amputation of sin, to not live in the dark, but to live in the light. And, and this is, this is, uh, this is, um, this is yeah, the call for radical amputation of sin. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 through 30, he also repeats it in Matthew 18, 7 through 9. Jesus saying it both times. In chapter 5, it's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a part of him like teaching, like, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It's different than what you thought. And this is what he says, and you're going to understand why we call it radical amputation. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Whoa, okay. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Everybody breathe out real quick on that one, right? Whew, Jesus, simmer down. Like, we're all going to be a bunch of blind, handless people, right? We're going to be like, <laughs> what is he trying to say? Like, is he physically saying, this is what you are supposed to do? Is this a law that you're saying, Jesus? So like, I, yeah, I struggle with lust. I don't anymore, right? Like, but now here's the reality. 
you tell me where lust happens. Does it happen with your eye or does it happen with your mind? You can still lust and not see a thing, right? That's where sin gets birthed, right? Can you, can you still steal something with no hands? Pro- yeah, I'm assuming. I haven't done it, so I don't know. Right? So he's not being literal. This isn't Jesus saying, like, literally. He's, he's making a point. And his point is that if something is drawing you away from the love of God, if there's a sin that's causing you and coming back over and over and over again, it's just a temptation that, that draws you back to it over and over and over again, saying, why wouldn't you want to just cut that daggum thing out of your life? It is not leading to freedom. It is leading to a jail cell. In your mind, it's leading to a pattern of brokenness and then guilt and then shame and then I need to ask for forgiveness and then you may go through freedom again and then you go back to it and then you feel guilty again. Like, why why would we want to choose that? Right? I don't think we choose it. I don't think it's like, boy, today I'm going to mess up my marriage. Let's go to adultery. You know, like, like we, we don't, it's, there's a path towards it. And there's an enemy who's trying to kill, kill, steal, and destroy things in your life. And we allow him to have the footholds by allowing those things to remain and not cutting them off. When that temptation comes in, what do you do with it? This whole idea of radically amputating, the end of that verse 14 of Romans 13, he says, don't even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. He's like, there's, if there's something that tempts you, he says, remove it, cut it out, treat it like cancer, man. Get it out of there as fast as you can. Remove that thing and do whatever it takes. Radically amputate that thing from your life. That's the call for radical amputation of sin. Here's the beautiful thing with God. Okay, um, where am I going? I want to make sure I have time for this. This is in my notes, so this must be God wanting to say something. Okay, we talked about the difference between law and love, right? You can go to two, two main extremes. When we love, we fulfill God's law. Now, God's law, what he tells us to do and not to do, there are rules in the Bible, they're in there, right? There's things that he said, don't live this way and don't do that. And, but when you see that as like things that are like, well, you're just trying to control me. And God's like, a little bit, yeah. But I'm trying to control you for your own good. I'm trying to create some guardrails on a highway where there's cliffs on either side. And when you jump over the guardrails, there's certain death. There's consequences on the other side of those guardrails. And so God gives us these guardrails of life, these rules for living inside of Scripture. And when we read them, they're not really suggestions. Like, he puts them there because he's like, I put that there for a reason, because he knows you and I better than we know ourselves. He knows our sin nature. He knows what tempts you. He knows what tempts me. And he says, now don't walk in that. Don't walk in that sin. So I'm going to put some guardrails up. And in those guardrails, just so you know, it's a really wide highway. And inside that highway, you can do anything. Actually, all my blessings are inside those guardrails. All my protection is in there. My love's in there. My, everything good that I want for you is inside of those guardrails. And I love it when you live inside those guardrails because in those, you experience my love and my blessings. 
He said, but anything on the other side, that's not me. Those are outside the guardrails of, of me. Those are the enemy's playground. You're going to be running through the force of the enemy. And so if you get tempted and you see something sparkly, you see something sexy over there, you see something like, ooh, I, I want that, and you jump over that guardrail, you're now outside of my protection. And now you're going to live in a land of consequences. There will be consequences to those choices. There always are. You either leave it, live in love or consequences. <laughs> And so when we choose to jump over the guardrail and go in a way that is outside of God's law and outside of his loving law for us, you're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt others. You're going to feel separated from God and be like, why has he left me? And the reality is he never went anywhere. He's in the guardrails. And he is over there as the Heavenly Father saying, come back. I'm running to you, but come back. And he longs to be with you. That is the loving Heavenly Father. And so just as a loving Heavenly Father has done everything to protect us, and now he's saying, please don't jump. Don't run to that sin. Don't even let your mind like go down the pathway to figure out how to do that sin. Cut it off. Radically remove it. Get it out of your life so you don't have to experience the consequences, but you get the freedom inside the guardrails of God's love. Does that image make sense to you? This is, this is how we operate as Christ followers. Does it mean all of us always stay inside the guardrails? No, we don't. Does it mean like if I'm a Christian in the guardrails, I see somebody jump over and go, good luck over there, right? No, that's me living the law. Like I'm in the law, but you're not too bad. No, no, no. My love for that person says, I'm going to be calling you. <laughs> I, I want to reach out to you while you're struggling. I'm going to be inviting you back in. That's what, that's what we do when we're inside the guardrails. We love. We love everyone. So my question is, what the heck is it for you? I, I, this is just, just me. I, I think if Paul, you know, he writes that he had this thorn in his flesh, and he prayed, and God, would you remove this? And, and God didn't remove it. He said, actually, this one's going to stick with you. And for some reason, for Paul, that was a part of his sanctification. That was a part of Paul learning about God's work. And, and that was for Paul. I, I do believe all of us have some kind of temptation. Something in us that wants to, like, run away from God. And whether it's a, it's a very specific sin issue or whether, whatever it is. The question is, what is it for you, and where are you with it? We know where God is with it. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to heal. He's ready to free. That's where God always is. That is his standing position with you, and that's what he longs to do. But for you, when we think about things like alcohol, I mean, he talks about drunkenness, right? Alcohol is, for some people, it's a, that's a hard one. I know there's people in this room who've struggled with it for a lot of years, and now they're free from it. That's only by God's grace that they're free from it. And, uh, and, and uh, there's, you know, there's a 12-step program for some people to go through, and I'm praying that they would call it to God in that process. And, and um, the thing is, part of that process is removing it from you, your life. It's amputating any alcohol from your life. It's saying, I don't even want to go close to that, because I know my sin nature is still real. 
that temptation could still be there. Like when, when I start to get stressed or when I start to get a little, uh, or things aren't going my way, I know that I could easily go and try to drink it away. Amputate it. Anything that would cause you to go down that road, get rid of it. Pour it down the drain. Get it out of your life. Don't go drinking with friends. Like, just remove that temptation from your life. Get rid of it. Radically amputate. If you struggle with sexual sin, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not afraid to talk about sex and sexual sin and all that kind of stuff because that's probably the most pervasive pers, uh, and hidden sin inside and outside the church. Like, if, if I know the numbers, half of you in this room have had bad experiences that have actually hurt you mentally and emotionally and relationally and have never brought it to God. And so the enemy just holds shame over you. That's got to be brought to the light. Don't leave that in the shadows. When it's in the shadows, the enemy says, I can play with that in the shadows. Oh, I can tempt them pretty easily. Actually, it doesn't take a whole lot. It just takes one commercial with one person wearing just the right thing, and I got them, right? That's the enemy's playground. Sexual sin, pornography, temptation. Like, what would you be willing to do to cut that out of your life? I would say, if, if, if you've got access to things on your phone, would you be willing to get a dumb phone? That would be radical, right? That's some radical amputation. I got a phone, I, all I can do is call and text. That's it, right? Or to say, our house, we no longer have internet at our house because I know I'm tempted and I don't want it. Are you willing to look ridiculous in the world but save your soul? That's radical amputation. What are you willing to do to cut that thing out of your life? Does it mean driving a different way home than you normally do because you know that route, that time, there's always that thing that tempts me changing something to radically amputate that from your life. Is it jealousy? Is it greed? Is it spending? Anybody love shopping? Amazon is too daggum easy. I thought I'd get an amen there, right? Like, you're like, I don't want to admit it, but yes, you know, like, right? So this whole process, it's us putting off the sin, but you got to put on something else in its place. There's a put off of the old self and put on the new self. And so when you put on the new self, what are you replacing that greed with? What are you replacing that, that spending and that selfishness and all that kind of... Well, I, here's my encouragement. I, I would say replace it with saving. <laughs> Don't buy that thing and put it in a jar. Oh, I was going to get that. I really didn't need it. $10 in the jar. And you'd be surprised by the end of the year. Wow. Let's go on a vacation. Or let's do something we enjoy. Or the, the automatic way to break greed is to start being generous. You start giving your money away to people who need it. You start giving it to a church that uses it for eternal things. You start, you start releasing your hands to that. That breaks greed like that. The enemy doesn't like it, but God loves it. If you are a gossip, stop. If you have nothing good to say about somebody, now here's the, here's the challenge. What if I said stop being jealous and stop gossiping. Instead, only say good things about everybody. Put off the gossip. Put on the good. What can I say good about that person? Even though they're just like, Arr. you know what? Their hair looks really nice today. <laughs> it's not complicated, right? They're dressed really nice today. They're looking good. 
You put off the old, you put on the new. And in that process, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit starts to transform something inside of you. You stop living in the shadows, you live in the light. You get freed from the temptation. The temptation starts to leave you. The enemy realizes that's not a stronghold anymore, and he can't use it in your life anymore. And that gets broken. Put on Christ. Ask the question, what does love require of me in this? And then do it. And then live it out. Live in love. Live loved. Walk in freedom. And when Christ comes back, that capital D day is coming. Here's my last point. Be caught doing good when Christ returns. Right? None of us want to be caught in the darkness living in sin when Christ returns. I want to be caught doing good. I want to be like, God, I, you know, here I am. I'm not perfect, and we don't have to be to go to heaven. If that was the case, none of us would ever make it. <laughs> we just need to know Jesus. Confess him as the Savior and Lord of our life. And we're forgiven of our sins. Our name's written in heaven. We have a relationship with him forever. We start to grow and learn how to live inside of these guardrails of love that he's created for us. We start experiencing the promises, the blessings attached to that. We start jumping over the fence and realizing the consequences when we mess up. But we're invited back in. Like, welcome to the growth process of a Christ follower. And we are amputating the sin that so easily tempts us. We are cutting it out of our lives. And we're looking weird to the rest of the world as we do it. But we're weird and free. Rather than normal and enslaved, which is the rest of the world. We get to choose. We get to choose. We're going to take some time to respond and, and just let God speak to us. We're going to respond in worship in a moment, but, but let's just take some time to pray. God, this is, this is deep stuff that we're talking about, and this is difficult stuff that we're talking about. And We know you have given us your word to, to bring us to truth, to bring us to freedom, to help us understand you more and understand us more and how we relate with you and each other. And this morning, I know there are some people in this room who have been held in bondage to sin for way too long. And it's been in the darkness where the enemy just has been just ripping them apart, continually tempting them over and over and over again. And they've been stuck in it. Today, I pray, would you just free them in the name of Jesus Christ? Would you just help them bring things to the light so it can be exposed and revealed and to be free, to amputate those things in their hearts, in their lives that don't look like you? I'm praying for some people this morning who are just hurting. They're just hurting. And they can't necessarily put a label to it or a name on it. They're just they're just. There's something inside of them that's hurting, God. In a moment, God, would you, would you just show yourself in a real personal way to them? You want to say something to them? Help them to hear it? Just stay in this attitude of prayer for a moment. And I, I want to talk to the Christians in the room first, Okay. For you, what situation do you need to learn to love in? 
Like, is there a situation that, that you know if you answered the question, what does love require of me, you'd have to do something different? Would you choose that today? Would you walk into that this week and see what God would do as you do it? Because he shows up when we start to walk into that. When you think about your own heart, your own life, do you live more towards the law and judgment or do you live way towards the too much love and there's no change? Where today can you walk in true love inside of God's boundaries? And for those of you in the room who you know you need to amputate some sin from your life, will you do it today? Would you be willing to do it today? To leave this morning freed from that thing? Would you be willing to pray with somebody and bring it to light and let them lift it up with you to God and just give it to them? Just say it out loud. I'm telling you, when it comes to the light, there is a freedom in that process. There's no judgment here. And God already knows it, and so he can't wait for you to tell him so he can free you from it. And so we're going to offer a time this morning as we sing this song in a moment that proclaims the name of Jesus over our lives that we're going to have the prayer team available. I'm going to be up front here on one side. Pastor Jim's going to be on, on another side up front. Um, and we're going to have a couple of the, the ladies on the prayer team available in the back corner back here. And if you want somebody to pray with you while we sing, I would ask you to come. Get serious about it. Get real with yourself and God and leave free today if that's you. Now, this morning, I'm going to talk to those of you who don't know Jesus yet. You don't have a relationship with this God I'm talking about? Here's the simple good news. And I said it earlier, God so loved you that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. Sin causes death. And Jesus' death on the cross is your freedom from sin and forgiveness. So he paid your price, your debt of sin. And we're told that all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died for you and rose again. He's alive today. You can be saved. You can start that relationship with God today. And if that's you, I'm gonna offer that right now. And you can pray with me right now and you can make that proclamation before God and you can be freed and forgiven today. I would challenge you and encourage you, if you're here online, anybody, is the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Because that's when you start to learn how to live loved. So if that's you today, everybody just in this moment, if that's you, I'm going to say pray to God. Make your own words. There's no special words from the pastor that gets you anywhere, all right? It's your own words. But you can say like this in this moment. You can just invite God. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. And I'm asking, would you forgive me of my sins, God? I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me and to pay for my sin. I believe he is alive today and that I can be more alive today than ever before. I'm saying, would you be Lord of my life, God? I invite Christ into my heart. I invite the Holy Spirit to work inside of me. Give me peace and heal me. Forgive me. I want to be yours now and forever. And I just ask this in Jesus' name alone. Amen.
If that's you, I would love to know today. If you want to come up, you can, you can join and you can pray with one of us in the corners as well. And we would love to pray for you.